Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, all you crazy people out in podcast land. Welcome back to another great episode of Brace for Impact. I am your host, Nick Jeevis, and I'm here to guide you on this magic carpet ride through the world of American media today as decimated as it is. (laughs) And today we have a special guest lined up because she's one of the bravest, most honest voices out there in the press today. And that's Cheryl Ackeson. Because in a world that's so suffocated by false narratives and money-making lies and storylines meant only to instill fear in us, Cheryl's one of the few out there who still believes in getting to the truth no matter how uncomfortable or difficult it might be. She also believes, and I know this from personal experience, just chatting with her offline here and there, she believes in having a higher bar for American media. And the reason her words and suggestions carry weight is because she's not just some talking head from the left or the right on MSNBC or Fox News. Her work speaks for itself. Cheryl's a five-time Emmy Award winner and a recipient of the Edward R. Murrow Award for Investigative Journalism. She's the author of two New York Times bestsellers. She's also the host of a Sunday morning national TV news program through Sinclair called Full Measure, which focuses on investigative and accountability reporting, something that we need now more than ever. She's delivered two popular TED Talks, one surrounding the idea, is fake news real? And this is addressing the claims that The news has been hijacked by other interests other than the facts and other than the truth, and political narratives have taken over. And her other TED Talk was AstroTurf and Manipulation of Media Messages. Those drew a combined 3.4 million views online. So she's no lightweight. For 30 years, Atkinson was a correspondent and an anchor at places like CBS, PBS, CNN, and she worked in local news which is very close to the real heart of the country and the real aspects of America that we hold special. In 2013, she received an Emmy Award for Outstanding Investigative Journalism for her report on the business of Congress. This is an undercover investigation into fundraising by Republican freshmen. She then received two other Emmy nominations in 2013 for a story on Benghazi and another one titled Green Energy Going Red. She's also received a 2013 Daytime Emmy Award as part of the CBS Sunday Morning Team's entry for Outstanding Morning Program for her report, Washington Lobbying, K Street, Behind Closed Doors. So she is, to put it plainly, a badass. I mean, she's one of the few journalists that's ever flown in a B-52 on a combat mission over Kosovo and in an F-15 fighter jet combat air patrol flight. Oh, and just as a little kicker, she's a fourth-degree black belt in Taekwondo, so don't mess with her. She's also previously hosted a medical news magazine show on PBS called Health Week. She's anchored for CNN. She's reported, as we said, at several local news stations. And she's really pushed through a lot of the barriers and the obstacles in this industry that 
want to discourage people from telling too much truth. Enough truth where the advertisers hold on to you and the other networks aren't able to brand you as crazy, that's acceptable. But she's the kind of person, at least what I've known about her, she's the kind of person that wants to put it all out on the table for you. She wants you to know the full truth and then you make up your mind with what you're comfortable accepting or looking into. Other places will dangle morsels of truth. They'll pepper it in with the lies or with the agenda. She seemed pure in her mission. And she left behind a lot of money with corporate journalism entities to say, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go write books. I'm going to get the truth to the people. And aside from all these resume builders and these awards that she's won and been nominated for, the most important thing is that bravery that she has. And she's earned the right to have that sense of righteousness about her work. That when one plus one equals two, you can't twist or bend or contort and ignore those facts because that equation's inconvenient to you. We need more people like her that think that way. And not just in media, but in government, medicine, education, across the board, really. We've let the bar slip, sadly, in a lot of different directions. We've taken things at face value. We've let clickbait dominate the information age where we've never had more information or the opportunity to dig at our fingertips, maybe in human history. And during all this chaos, the ups and the downs and the roller coaster of it, Cheryl's been out there consistently taking on the tough stories, writing books, digging, working with whistleblowers. And she has a few exciting projects coming up that we're going to get into and we're going to talk about during this episode today. And I just want to say, warn the listeners really quickly that she doesn't have a lot of time today, unfortunately, but her schedule was open. So we have to shoot this a little guerrilla style, not unlike some of her work, I'm sure, in the field. But I still think we're going to get a lot out of it and we're going to have a great discussion because she really is a true member of the fourth estate. And I'm so glad she said yes and came on to talk to us about what she's doing next. So without further ado, one of the last true journalists left in the game who seeks to enlighten instead of obscure and keep us in the darkness. Cheryl Ackerson. Here we go. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Cheryl Atkinson, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Nick. Oh, thank you for coming on. You're someone that I trust actually more than uh, a lot of the people out there in the business. And you do a lot of work with uh, whistleblowers. At least that's what I've seen uh, in your background. Are you doing anything recent or up to date on anything related to whistleblowers or anything big that's coming up? Well, I am. You know, every season on my TV show, Sunday show, Full Measure, we have focused quite a bit on whistleblowers. And as a little bit of background, when I worked for CBS News as an investigative reporter, everybody was trying to get those whistleblower stories. And when I mean whistleblowers, I don't mean just politically motivated whistleblowers who are being put out there by some interest to do harm to some politician. I mean, real whistleblowers inside corporations and government bringing to light wrongs that are being committed. And um, I've been working with some of the people inside the FBI who are trying to blow the whistle on what they see as malfeasance in the agency um, involving the January 6th actions. 
There is a new whistleblower who's not public yet, by and large, from the FBI that I'll be working with or looking into, and probably you'll be hearing from him on my TV program. And recently I had um, the FBI special agent, Stephen Friend, who was an agent that saw the FBI using what he thought were overly heavy-handed tactics, sort of the weaponization of the FBI, using SWAT teams to surround the houses of and go after these nonviolent protesters from January 6th who simply entered the building, you know, maybe committed a misdemeanor, if anything, and were on camera doing nothing violent, and yet we're given this crazy treatment that can quite be quite dangerous, actually, when law enforcement overuses a, an armed SWAT team in a neighborhood, these things can go wrong. You don't, you shouldn't do that lightly. It's Orwellian almost. And, and it sounds like you said, uh, you'd mentioned you're working on looking at some of this J6 footage with some agents. And have you found anything uh, of interest or that stands out or that, you know, particularly is, is of interest to you thus far? Or are you still digging through those tapes? I have. I mean, I've seen this, you know, starting a couple years ago, but I've continued to review the video that I have access to. It's publicly out there video, I've continued to review it with many law enforcement people, and they see different things than I see. You know, everybody finds something new. The upshot is this event has been so effectively controversialized that neither Democrats nor Republicans will go after the very legitimate questions to be asked surrounding were there law enforcement and law enforcement informants working in this crowd that were actually agitating or responsible for moving the crowd in a more violent direction than it would have otherwise have gone. And of course, you may know the FBI won't answer questions about how many people they had in the crowd. I've been told by people who work in this arena and in Intel that there, of course, were FBI agents in the crowd. There were, they think, CIA folks in the crowd, that there were local police. That's what you do when there are parades and demonstrations and things like that. There's plainclothes people in the crowd. That's less controversial than the question of, were they or people working with them, calling them informants or sources, were they driving this towards some planned end? In other words, were they trying to get this crowd inside and across a certain threshold at a certain point in time so that they could call this an insurrection? And by the way, nobody's been charged, as you may know, with sedition or insurrection. I think there was one conspiracy to commit sedition, which is completely different. That's like committing a murder or conspiring, but never acting upon it. So I think there's a lot of legitimate questions to be asked, and I hope to be unearthing some of that with the help of some experts um, in the near future. Do you think that because this escalation on one side of the table with law enforcement has happened, do you believe that that is going to trigger more whistleblowers coming forward in the future? Because there seems to be some out there, but for all that's going down, all the things that are happening, you would think maybe there might be more out there that know things that would want to come forward. Do you think these discoveries encourage or discourage that kind of uh, bravery? There, it's probably discouraging to some. I mean, they only come forward when all else has failed and if they simply cannot go on with their life as is without the truth being known. But by and large, they see what happens to whistleblowers. The, the story never ends well for them. Typically, the guilty parties are not punished. The whistleblowers lose their jobs, get destroyed and smeared in the media. It's just not good. Now, back in the day, 15, 20 years ago, when we reported on whistleblowers, something might come of it because the media was less partisan. And if they brought something to light, sometimes it forced an action. Now, there's nothing going to happen with a lot of these things. I, I posit that the federal agencies are now running the government, Congress 
doesn't conduct oversight. The agencies thumb their nose at the request for information. Um, they flout their Freedom of Information Act requests, these federal agencies, on a routine basis. They simply don't comply with the law or with oversight. And they wait for new people to come in if they're being asked difficult questions by a certain administration or members of Congress. And I think this kind of proves it. The whistleblowers know it. And I'll tell you, a couple years back, after Trump first got elected, there were whistleblowers going to the Republican leadership in Congress. And there were Republicans telling on them to the FBI. And that shut them down fast. I think there was a bit of hope for a short period of time that, hey, Trump is elected. Republicans are in charge. We can get somewhere. And they quickly saw that it was going to be the same old story. And they they shut up after that. Yeah, it's it's surprising. It's like every day something else new seems to be unearthed that is it wouldn't have been this way you know, 20, 30 years ago. With journalism, do you feel that the fourth estate is also changing in that way? Not just whistleblowers, not just how Congress is doing their business, but how journalism actually functions. You've been doing this a long time. What are some of the changes you've noticed over the years with how we cover Congress and we cover major issues? I think that they're all related, that whether it's the media, federal agencies, whether you're talking about law enforcement, nonprofits, any area of information you can look at has been co-opted systematically over the past, let's say, 20 years or so by people who want to control the narrative and censor information. And they figured out how to do this. The Internet made it even easier for them to censor and shape what we see. So the media has been not just influenced on the outside, which I saw early on working in news media, but we ended up hiring those people. They figured out how to infiltrate the news media by being employed in our newsrooms and influencing us in that respect. The journalism organizations have been, I'll say, infiltrated by these interests so that they're steered and screened and put in a certain direction. Everywhere you look, they have figured out if there's a source of information, they've figured out how to slant or impact it. And we're now living the results of that, whether again, it's politics or news media or pretty much any arena you look at education. Are you happier that you left? Because I've worked at corporate media as well. I worked for Fox and uh, in the past. Are you happier now that you're more independent and that you don't have to be chained to those organizations we just said were infiltrated, it seems, by you know a different type of journalist? Or uh, were there challenges? Was it you know, ups and downs? How did that go uh, when you left? I was very happy for many years at CNN and CBS and PBS when I operated fairly freely for most of the time. It was the final years at CBS. I quit mid-contract because I was extremely unhappy. I thought the news wasn't honest, not only what they were trying to get me to report, but what I saw others putting on the air. I wasn't the only one who felt that way, but I guess I was in sort of unique position being willing to and able to walk away from that. And, you know, I walked away from a seven-figure you know, income obligation that they had to me. And I didn't plan to work in the media after that because I wrote a book about it. Who's going to hire me after I'm spilling the beans? Well, shockingly, quite a few people did come to me with potential job offers. And I now work for an independent group called Sinclair, which is back to sort of letting the original news investigations come out and encouraging that instead of discouraging it. I hear from colleagues quite frequently still working in major media, print publications and networks who say, how are you allowed to cover that? And these are just basic stories. These aren't even always super exclusive investigations. It's just regular news in a fair handed fashion. They're like, how are you allowed to do that? And I say that, you know, Sinclair doesn't step in on these stories when we want to cover a controversy or even just 
like the banking story that I'll be airing coming up soon on Full Measure, it's just a fair in-depth explanation of something that you're not going to pretty much get anywhere else because they're all spinning and slanting it. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with some more from journalist Cheryl Atkinson. Don't go anywhere. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. This is your host, Nick Jeeves. As promised, we have a few more truth bombs headed your way. So strap in. Please keep your hands and feet inside the cockpit at all times as we get ready to brace for impact. And we saw the banking collapse and how SVB was uh, investing in all these woke interests and all these things that they, they were doubling down in essence when they knew it could possibly lead to failure. And uh, I always admired you for that. I always wanted to say this to you in person. And I, I think I told you once offline, but I wanted to tell you on the record that I admired your courage to do that. And it was inspiring because not a lot of people until recently have kind of made that move into um, Twitter, their own space, Substack. So, um, well, and you're working on a, another book, it sounds like, right? Uh, you, look, you have another project coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, thank you. Yes. Um, HarperCollins, my publisher, has asked me to write a book about the co-opting of science, scientific journals, scientists, academic institutions, researchers. I mean, I can tell you, Nick, they have been almost, the way I would describe it, completely taken over by the pharmaceutical and related industries. There is almost nothing you can get to easily that will show up on a Google search for sure, that is a fair way that discloses the conflicts of interest, or maybe it discloses the conflicts of interest, but what you don't get is then a fair view of a medicine or a study or some interpretation. I'll give you one quick example. When a study comes out like one did recently that said there is a really significant increase in Bell's palsy paralysis of the face, for people who take COVID vaccine, which, by the way, that's been known for a couple of years. People treat these things like it's a surprise if it finally elevates outside, you know, certain scientific circles. But we've known that since practically the start. But a big study came out and said so. And instead of reporting that, Medscape, the left-leading, you know, pharmaceutical interest publication and all these others, you can tell they don't write a story on that study. They write a story saying, well, you know, okay, maybe that's true, but it's worse if you get COVID. Like Bell's palsy is, is probably worse if you actually have the disease. And they don't say, even if that were true, that statistically you're still worse off getting the vaccine because the vaccine doesn't keep you from getting COVID. Therefore, if both of them have a chance of Bell's palsy, all you've done by taking the vaccine theoretically is increase your chance. But they never say these scientific truths are always spinning and slanting. And that's pretty much the story across science because it has been co-opted like education and media and politics. So the book will be about that landscape. Yeah. And one, one plus one used to equal two. There used to be certain truths that we agreed on in science. You would think wasn't it's not history or it's not English, something that maybe is a little more subjective. This is scientific facts. That they're taking, like you said, bending to fit a political narrative. So um, when you sit down to write a book, that's got to be a taxing endeavor, especially with this kind of topic. How do you prepare for something like that? And how long does it usually take you to, to complete 
something of that size? Well, it's not taxing because maybe time-wise a bit, but I write as part of, I, I finally realized, you know how artists must want to paint and poets must want to create their poetry. I write as an as a avocation. I mean, this is something I would do if nobody paid me to do it. And it's how I get my, you know, how I relax is by writing. So it's something I would be doing anyway. It's not hard for me to write a book. I love researching. I love solving puzzles. So that's not difficult. Sometimes finding a little bit of time in a busy day can be a little tough, but that's about it. Love your advice offline about that because I've been trying to write a book for, for a long time. I went through some medical struggles myself. I had about six surgeries and a few of our mutual friends in media actually helped me survive, uh, including uh, Dr. Ben Carson. And I always tried to sit down and do it. And I always admired people in the media that were able to just turn it out or like yourself that were able to write that way. Let me give you a tip. Please. And for anybody listening who thinks they have a book in them. Computers make this so easy because I'm of the age when things used to be typed and you couldn't do what I'm about to tell you. I say start the book wherever you want. A lot of people sit there and go, how am I going to start the book? You don't have to write the beginning first or the ending last. Simply write something you're thinking about. Maybe you were at a doctor's appointment and something struck you or made you mad or, or touched you. Write a page about that as while it's fresh in your mind. You can reorder all of that stuff later and thread it together with a theme and figure out how you're going to open it. But get the material down. You could start that the same day you first think of something. And pretty soon you'll have enough items for a book and you'll be able to thread it together and reorganize it. That's a great suggestion. I've heard that from one or two other uh, authors as well. So it sounds like it's something that other writers use. You just kind of whatever's in your head at that moment, get it out onto the page. And it seems like with the changing media, a lot more people have a voice, have a Twitter account, have a page like they don't need Fox News to publish. They don't need CNN. They don't need CBS. And I was going to ask you this, but it sounds like writing might be the answer to the question. But with all this stress, and I'm sure you're used to it more so than, than most uh, journalists. You've been doing this a long time. But do you have any favorite movies or favorite books or favorite passages, quotes, things that keep you uh, in the game when you're stressing out or you need to de-stress and focus and step back? What do you turn to other than writing if, if that's not your main solace? I'll hit, I'll hit you with a couple of things. Number one, the truth finds a way to be told. That's one of my sayings that I, I just like to think about, that you can be very frustrated when you see untrue things taking hold in the media and elsewhere, and a lot of people may be believing it, but it may take time. I do think the truth seeks to be told and eventually does get told, and I kind of hang on to that sometimes. I'm a fifth-degree black belt master in Taekwondo. I love my exercise and my martial arts, and I teach. I, I love doing that. When you're Doing a sport like that, people have their own versions of it. You're in the moment thinking of nothing else. And I find myself after working out maybe for a couple hours that I haven't thought of anything for that couple of hours except what I was doing at the moment. I love that. So those are a couple of things. That's awesome. Well, before we let you go, I know you're very busy. And uh, actually, we have some studio. John's actually got a hit. And we'll take this part out about John. John's got a hit coming up. So he's, he's breathing down my neck. But um, to, to wrap up, so um, is there any piece of advice you have out there, not just for journalists, but how about for citizens that are interested in these topics that maybe don't write or don't investigate things, but they want to get involved. They want to help people like you. They want to get to the truth. What's your best piece of advice about how to do that? Don't be discouraged by seeing this fake world on the internet all making you, trying to make you think everybody thinks a certain way and you're the crazy one and you shouldn't talk about how you feel. Talk about it, bring it to light, write about it, don't be intimidated, don't shut your mouth. And I think there's more people that feel that way 
than those who are trying to silence you. And if we use that power to take back our rights, you know, to speak the truth, to speak the facts, to speak our opinion, then nobody can stop us because I think it's a strong group of Americans. We only allow ourselves to be squelched if we allow it. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know it was a quick hit today, but I'm sure we'll love to have you back on down the road. You're one of the best out there, best in the business. And uh, God bless you on this journey. I really hope you find out some facts that we desperately need to know as a society and that you have another book in you. Whenever you have number three come out, please come back on and we'll we'll talk about that. And uh, I really look forward to seeing what you do down the line because every time I click your name and I read your stories, I'm like, wow, this is this is a lot of truth in here that we're not getting. So we, we appreciate your fine work. Well, thank you. And I will mention this will be book number four. I've done Stonewalled, The Smear, Slanted. I have a textbook, by the way, as well. But this will be the fourth kind of uh, media related book. Well, congratulations. And I'm sure it's going to be the best of them. And uh, we hope you'll join us back. We hope you'll join us again soon to promote the next one. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. To all you listeners out there, we're going to take a quick intermission, but we'll be right back to wrap up this episode with some final thoughts on COVID, Little J6, and the new media of today. Come on back. You don't want to miss this one. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That was a little shorter than usual due to some scheduling and timing issues and a few other factors, of course, but Cheryl couldn't have said it better. We are living in interesting times. And I don't know if you are all familiar with the saying, but there's this supposed Chinese hex or sort of curse, passive curse to say, may you live in interesting times. When SWAT teams are gearing up to take down what seem to be ordinary citizens, armed SWAT teams, and when whistleblowers are coming forth day by day from major federal agencies to talk about awful wrongdoing, and telling the truth is punished instead of rewarded, I'd certainly say that qualifies. And Cheryl hit upon a few different points, and I only want to speak about the big ones. I don't want to go too long. But these are topics that will determine how much freedom we, our children, and our grandchildren are going to have. This heavy-handed militarization of the police and law enforcement should concern everyone. Now, defunding the police is obviously not the answer. Crime has skyrocketed. Officers feel that citizens don't have their backs, at least the taxpaying ones that don't commit crimes. So the answer is not to strip them completely or go in the opposite direction, but to be giving them so much power, it's very difficult to yank that back. It's very, very difficult. Once Pandora's box has been opened, it's almost impossible to put the clown back in the box, to quote Dark Knight. And one day the pendulum is going to swing back, and this is only laying the groundwork for further persecution in my opinion. That's how it goes in this town, especially in Washington. You hit one side, the other side gets power and hits back even harder. You give an inch, the other side, if they have the opportunity, takes a mile. No one has the courage to stop. But some of these revelations that the public is being let in on is changing the game completely. 
spying on us through our computers, tracking our purchases. Possibly even now, according to some of Cheryl's potential research, inciting incidents on purpose to fit political narratives. That's a nightmare. It's a dystopic, Hollywood-level fever dream. If you had been told this three to five years ago, even pre-COVID, I don't think anyone would believe it. Part of the problem is that America is special because it's been set up in such a way that it has various checks and balances. And everybody knows that from civics class. Oh, checks and balances, three branches of government. No, not just the government. Even the media served as a fact check and would help check the power of government and big business. They weren't cheerleaders for one side because it was a money-making operation or a power-gathering operation and then diminished the other side completely. When you have two sides colluding like that and not checking one another when they should be, you've now lost what makes the United States special. You're venturing into very dangerous territory and playing with fire. A fire that, if it gets out of control, could turn this country into a third world nation that's barely scraping by, while the party in power, whichever one it is at that moment, is guarding all the doors and holding all the keys. This was not set up to be this way. So Cheryl talked also about a deliberate infiltration into almost every level of our lives, with some people having the sole goal of just tearing things down, to destroy, to distract, and to confuse. That's why people like Cheryl and I left places like corporate media, like CBS, like Fox, because you can feel it in the air sometimes. Doesn't mean every apple in the barrel is rotten. Can't make assumptions like that. But when you're next to someone who wants good and peace and honesty, not just money or fame or is driven by selfishness, you can usually feel it. And you know when you're in a place that you're not supposed to be, where you don't belong. Just the, as the inverse is true. When you're with people who exude this spirit of goodness and honesty and their desires are selfless. They're not only based on me, me, me. That's easy to pick up on. It's not as hard as people think. It comes down to, are you willing to put yourself on the line? Are you willing to put yourself in the line of fire? Are you willing to sacrifice or risk your paycheck and your human earthly comfort to know that you achieved a goal bigger than what you can just see in front of you? It's a deep spiritual battle for the truth. It's very difficult when people that would otherwise be fighting for that truth get bought out or are convinced that they're fighting for the right team, that they're doing the right thing. These places, these outlets, these media conglomerates, they've become so agenda-driven. And yet, we, the public, we're not allowed to know what's driving it. We're not allowed to see specific investments. We're not allowed to know who at the top is making these decisions. We're not allowed to see that some of these anchors claim to be one thing and then blatantly are completely the opposite in private. That's un-American. But I do want to echo Cheryl's advice at the end, which should give you some hope. Don't get discouraged. 
One of my best friends in college used to say that to me, and it was the best piece of advice he ever gave me. Know that there are more people out there who want the truth pulled out into the light. We have the numbers. So be not afraid. Have faith in yourself. Have faith in the truth. Because no matter what, no matter how hard the fall, how much they work to suppress it, no matter how depressed we may become or what disasters may still lie in wait for us, the truth always comes out. I want to thank Cheryl once again for coming on with such short notice, especially as she's used to doing, I'm sure, and not holding anything back. She gave us a glimpse into what I believe are the endless possibilities that we can create together when we dare to speak the truth as one. So please follow the show Brace for Impact on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. You can follow me on Twitter at NGivas, that's N-G-I-V-A-S-D-C for future episodes and previews. And rest assured, there is plenty more to come. To all you truth tellers out there, always remember to stay vigilant, for vigilance is the price of freedom. Good luck, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us.